Hey everybody, my name is Bo. I'm with Running Light Ministries and I'm here with my friend and co-labor in the ministry, Peter Martin. And we are going to do another episode of the Better Pleasure podcast right now. Running Light Ministry podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. You can support these podcasts by making a gift to the ministries at runninglight.org. So here we go. We're going to get into it, and we're going to talk a little bit about sex, the Bible, love, lust, all that fun stuff that we love to talk about. And Peter was looking up something right now that was kind of interesting because we are in October of 2021, mm-hmm. and I guess it's a really special time. It is International Pronouns Day, according to the State Department. So they just released it today. Nice. This is uh, from their tweet. So you go on their tweet and then it links you over to this thing called Share America on uh, this very interesting article talking about pronouns. Uh, so it says in the United States, it's becoming increasingly common for people to share their pronouns. Third person personal pronouns are used to describe a person or people in American English grammar as the subject or object or in the possessive. But this is not a grammar lesson. This is about something different. So going back to the article, these pronouns include the gender neutral, they, them, theirs, words that traditionally refer to a plural number, but that today are used by some individuals who identify as gender non-binary or who prefer not to share gender information. Other pronouns include the feminine she, her, hers, and the masculine he, him, his, some people are pioneering gender-neutral pronouns, such as Z, Zier, Zeers. Many Americans are including their pronouns on their social media profiles or name tags as a part of their email signatures. They state them in meetings, whether online or in person, at other venues. Shige Sukari, author of the five-year-old MyPronouns.org, goes by them, they, theirs pronouns. They see sharing pronouns as a way of getting to know someone, Knowing and using someone's pronouns avoids accidentally assuming an incorrect gender based on a name or an appearance. People have the opportunity then to share how they want to be referred to, said Sukurai, also leader of the International Pronouns Day. So they actually created this day. Learning names is important to do, and learning how to pronounce them correctly is important. To me, pronouns are just an extension of that, and he goes on from there. So uh, I just thought this was kind of an interesting thing, not only from the fact that people are declaring it International Pronouns Day, but that it's actually coming from our own State Department. So they they felt it necessary to release this kind of information. And for those of you guys kind of waiting in this gender confusion and wanting basic instruction or basic uh, understanding of what these things are all about and how we're to understand them. I mean, me and my wife were reading some of these things the other day and uh, genuinely trying to understand these things. It's very, very confusing. And the the Z, Zer, Zers <laughs> pronouns are new to me. I didn't know about those at all. But uh, <laughs> what do you make of all this, Bo? Yeah, okay. So when I first think of this, I just go, what is, first of all, uh, is any of this based in reality as in some kind of objective reality that we're living in? Um, And I guess that's my first question is, 
do things in our life, pronouns, language, you know, does it matter, you know, at all? Is it based off of anything really of, of any, kind of any kind of objective truth? Or is language really created off of just <laughs> other things? <laughs> You know, maybe I need to talk to John McWhorter. He's a he's a linguist, <laughs> um, but he he does a great podcast with uh, uh, Glenn Laurie. Um, I recommend it, by the way. Mm. You know, he's from uh, John McWhorter's, I think, from Columbia University, and Glenn Laurie's uh, out of Brown. So you have two quote. You know, everybody wants to know about skin color, but they're two black men. And uh, Jim McWhorter's written a book about Babylon. It's called like Babylon Language or something. Hmm. But it's all about linguistics. And I really need to look into that maybe to answer this question. Because, you know, when someone says Z, or it, it's like at some point someone said he. Right. You know, and at some point someone said she. Yeah. So why? Yeah. I guess that's what I'm getting at. Yeah. So uh, to couple that, so that's kind of the the interesting portion. This is very intriguing. I sent this to you earlier. Uh, G.K. Chesterton, famous Christian yeah. author, philosopher, he wrote a book called Orthodoxy, and in it he makes a really interesting prediction. So he looks at subjectivity inside of his culture, and he really ridicules guys like Nietzsche and George Bernard Shaw, and what he believed is they had um, a view of reality that was based on will. So in other words, I will something to be true, and that makes it true. So when Bo's talking about objective reality, what we're talking about is something that is true regardless of what we think. It's not based on my will. It's based on reality. And as he's seeing this happen, and this is like over about 100 years ago, he's seeing this happen. He predicts that this attack on truth will eventually bleed its way into language. And when it finally does that, we're going to have a culture of nonsense, basically. So this is the quote. It's kind of lengthy, but it's really good. Uh, he says, every act of will is an act of self-limitation. To desire action is to desire limitation. In that sense, every act is an act of self-sacrifice. When you choose anything, you reject everything else. Every act is an irrevocable selection and exclusion. Just as when you marry one woman, you give up all others. So when you take one course of action, you have to give up other courses of action. Art is limitation. The, the essence of every picture is the frame. If you draw a giraffe, you must draw him with a long neck. If you, in your attempt to be bold and creative, hold yourself free to draw a giraffe with a short neck, you will really find that you are not free to draw a giraffe at all. The more you step into the world of facts, you step into a world of limits. You can free things from alien or accidental laws, but not from the laws of their own nature. You may, if you like, free a tiger from his bars, but do not free him from his stripes. Do not free a camel from the burden of his hump. You may go freeing him from being a camel at all. Do not go about as a demagogue, encouraging triangles to break out of the prison of their three sides. If a triangle breaks out of its three sides, its life comes to a lamentable end. So essentially what he's getting at, this attack on language, which is a, such a cool quote, right? Is you he's basically, isn't he saying you kill something when you do it? That's right. So in other words, if I try to free myself to say like, why do we have to be so restrictive in our language when it comes to gender? 
you know, why can't we be more inclusive? You know, what about people who don't see themselves as male or female or they see themselves somewhere in between or maybe they are a male and they see themselves as a female? Why can't I free them to be able to communicate that to me in a way that makes them feel good? Chesterton's point is that once you quote unquote free someone to say whatever they feel, you're also freeing them from logic, reason and objective reality, which may not be good. So in other words, what happens is by freeing us from these constraints, we're freeing ourselves from being able to communicate at all, which is an interesting thing that you bring up Babel. And I was thinking about Babel, uh, the Tower of Babel, when I was reading this article, as well as some of the articles I've been reading this week on the subject, where they're, they're talking. I could tell it's language. Right? I'm reading it and it's English, but I don't know what they're saying. I have no clue what they're trying to convey. It's very confusing. So in other words, language, which is designed to help us express ourselves in a way that makes us more clear, is now being used to obfuscate, meaning to cloud or to make things less clear. And that also has a very interesting impact on something else related to 1984, but I'm not going to get there right now. <laughs> what, are your, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I just, I'm trying to think of the, the kind of the applications of if, you know, what, what G.K. Uh, Chester, uh, Chesterson is saying, like how that relates to our life. Um, so I'm kind of putting myself in like mental scenarios, like, okay, so someone calls themselves Z. You know, what is that trying? It's trying to convey something about them, right? It's conveying that they believe... them. them. Yeah, yeah, they believe themselves to be this. Right. And it might not be something that I know about, um, it might not be something that I see as even real, but it's something that what they're telling me is this is how they see themselves. Right. In their world, they th see themselves as a ladybug, right. as a, you know, this kind of thing. And they, so there's a word that's invented to help us understand that this is how they're looking at themselves. Right. Um, I don't know if that's, um, you know, if that's really good or bad or if that's what that is. I, I mean, I don't know, um, you know, how that would play out. I, I, you know, I think that happens today where I would just look at people or how I do it probably is just I, I kind of mentally go, oh, that's how they are seeing themselves. Right. Um, there, I guess if it continued on. You know, um, I, it always comes back to, well, is it, are you really what you're saying you are? Right. Is that, is that, is that really based in any kind of reality? And if we say it is based in a reality, then it demolishes the prior reality. Right. Um, so whatever was the truth before, you know, your reality, we can't say, um, you know, if you're saying there's no more men, then you demolish the word right you demolish it has no meaning it has no meaning anymore just like if you say triangles don't need to have three sides right there's no more triangles there's no more <laughs> triangle that's yeah. right so um we are definitely in a definition war right um of what is real you know does science really uh speak at all uh to us in our culture today um or is it all just a very 
um, I don't know what the, the, the word would be, but are we living in a beyond science world where it's, um, where, uh, there's something even more powerful that's moving, uh, the ship, so to speak, and science is even, uh, just being towed along. Yeah, it's really interesting. I was thinking about this this week, um, especially since we're going through the book of Revelation on Wednesday nights. And uh, thinking about where we are at as a culture, I'm always trying to think, like, do I have reason to believe that our culture could possibly be the one that is the last one, right? That, that we've reached the peak, the zenith of human arrogance and foolishness, and God will judge us eventually. Um, one of the things I think is most fascinating about this is that in the Garden of Eden, the original temptation of the serpent was he said to Adam and Eve, you will be like God. And you will determine for yourselves what is right and what is wrong. Now, to, ex- to an extent, humanity has lived up to that taunt. But to another extent, we haven't. Prior to this point in time, there has been some sort of an objective reality beyond us that we've tried to conform to. Whether they're pagan deities that we have created in our own minds, or even just nature itself. There are people who try to live in harmony with nature. This is the first time in human history that we really are saying, no, the buck stops here. There is no God beyond me. There is no science that could dictate what I say and what I don't say. It really is, I'm shaping my reality for myself. I'm saying this is right and this is wrong. And I don't need anything outside of myself to say whether or not what I'm saying is right and wrong. And gender is, what we're seeing here in gender is a really clear indication of that. So if someone says, I am a female, right? My pronouns are she and her. And someone says, well, what makes you a female? Because it's not biology, because we've already said that biology doesn't constitute what makes a female, uh, her reproductive organs or something like that. And you could say, well, I just feel like a female. It's like, okay, well, what does that mean? Does it mean you just like feminine things? Because liking feminine things, is that all that makes a woman a woman? So if there's a guy out there who just likes feminine things, does that necessitate him being a female? Or is it possible to be a male and just like feminine things? How are we supposed to understand this? And you see, because we've pushed it, we don't need to point to anything. I don't need to say, well, I'm a female because of this external thing that I can point to. All I have to do is say, I'm a female because I say so. Yeah, and it very much goes with the uh, critical race theory right. ideas of that objective reality is really a product of this ruling class, this hegemony in the world. Mm. And so we can't, you know, what trumps that is passion. Right. Passion trumps logic, logic or empirical science. Right. Um, but passion trumps it all. Right. And so if someone's passionate about something, then that is the narrative. Hmm. Now, it's kind of interesting, though, because you can't quite be passionate about science or you can't be so much passionate about objective truth. Um, that is not what they're saying. Right. <laughs> you know, so if someone says, well, I'm still I'm passionate. My narrative is one of this is what I believe to be true because it's observable, it's testable, it's repeatable. Mm. It's something that we can look into. There's evidence for it. So I'm passionate for that. Laws of logic matter or else we couldn't talk and relate to one another. So those things are objective. They're outside of us. So that's, I'm passionate about that. So how about that? It seems like there's an 
over aching um, narrative that has said, you know what, every other kind of form of individual passion is good, but not that kind of individual passion. Right. So there is a, a of course, that's the frustrating probably thing with all this is that it's a walking contradiction in so many ways, right? Right. It's seeking to tell us what is true to you while denying what is true to someone else. Right. You know? And that's why I think it's so important for us as Christians to understand it. A lot of times Christians, they see the outgrowth, but they don't see the foundation. So when we're talking about gender and then you're bringing up critical race theory and and race ideologies, some people are like, well, how do those relate? Those are two completely different categories. And we would say, no, no, no. They're two different outgrowths from the same root, right? This is the same foundation. And just to prove this, uh, you, you brought up critical race theory. This, again, just happened today. A guy who was a scientist, I think he was a geophysicist, um, but he was talking about how businesses should hire people, essentially. And he says, if you hire somebody based on inherent qualities given to them at birth, that is hiring someone out of a racist bias, and that makes that activity racist. And he was canceled for that. <laughs> people are like, no, like... That's not true. Now think about what he's saying. How is that controversial? Yeah, Bob Marley wrote a, a song, and I wish I had the lyrics up here now. But he says, you know, it's a song called War, and he he, he talks about you know until that day when all these things are deal dealt deal dealt with properly, we're gonna still have war. And one of those things he says is that uh, the color of a of a man's skin is of no more significance than the color of his eyes. Right. So he says, if until that day, there'll be war. That's right. So even Bob Marley talked about, you know, let's not go that route right. of judging people by these outer standards. Right. These bo- what you're calling being born. Right. And, and this is the real danger. Back in the 50s, the 60s, when people were putting up signs that say blacks need not apply or Irish need not apply, if I were to go to that person and say, don't you think that's a little racist? They'd be like, yeah, that's the point. <laughs> that's why I'm putting this up here is because I think that these races are inferior and I don't want to hire them. Right. Right. So their, their language meant something. Nowadays, someone basically says he's looking at people with affirmative action and essentially, people are putting up signs saying whites need not apply here. And he's looking at that and saying, isn't that racist? And they're turning on him and saying, that's racist. And that's the crazy thing. And that's why I'm saying it deals with our language. Words have to mean something. And if racist doesn't mean what it's always meant, and we could just arbitrarily change the definition to fit whatever we think it should be, then we've reached a point in our culture or we can't really stand very well. Well, isn't isn't that probably one of the big problems uh, today, or one of the big reasons why the country is divided, is because it's simply a language barrier. Right. There is a language issue where you know that doesn't mean what you think it means. That's right. And then then they say, well, no, you don't you you <laughs> don't think you don't mean what it, or you don't know what it think what it means because right. I know what it means. Right. And it's because there's two different different definitions to them. Right. And that's 
That's really interesting because there's there's two points that go into my head. The first is the Tower of Babel, mm-hmm. where why does God confuse the languages to create separation? So God intentionally creates confusion so that humanity will separate from each other. When you can't talk to somebody, when you can't communicate, you don't have a relationship. There's no way to relate to that person beyond communication. The second thing, and this relates to 1984. So I, this I is the thing you wanted to bring. This up. is the thing I wanted to bring up. And you and I both like that book. It's a really fascinating, fascinating look at a dystopian future. And in 1984, the they have what's called the inner party circle, and that's like the dudes who run everything, right? And and nobody knows who they are. They're just kind of in the shadows, and they're running everything. They're behind Big Brother, and the inner party circle has something. They have their own language. It's called doublespeak, and the way that you know you're kind of in the in the in is when you talk or communicate in this way and so essentially what it was is it was a way to change or alter communication in such a way where we could easily distinguish those who are in and those who are out and that's kind of what's going on in our country right now so it's not god confusing our language so that we have separation it's an intentional confusion of the language so that we're artificially creating classes so we're artificially creating the enlightened class versus the unenlightened class, right? And that's why even, uh, you know, you having a Latino wife, now you can't use that word anymore. It is now right. Latin X. That's right. And the reason why is because gender isn't a thing. We shouldn't be able to talk in gender in gendered language. And Which is really weird because they're saying that there there is gender. That's right. But, but there is not. <laughs> there is, but there isn't. I mean, if there's there could 60, be, if but there is, <laughs> if they're saying which was it, za, z, yeah, z, zer, zim. But z, that z, that z. one, that one, like I said it was new because it used to be. I say I'm he if I identify as male. I say I'm she if I identify as female. I say they them if I'm somewhere in between. Mm-hmm. Zer, if you heard the definition I read, means nothing. It means I could be male. It means I could be female. It means I could be anything in between. It doesn't right. communicate anything. Well, the, it well, yeah, and and, and the the college um, idea of gender. I mean, the the I don't know what I want to call it, but the the uh, maybe it's the LGBTQ culture um, on it is that there's it's fluid anyway. Right. You can be multi-gendered in many ways and right. many times. Right. So. Um, <laughs> kind of reminds me of the the quote from Revelation: the beast that was is. and is is and is not, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, it's and like will be, <laughs> yeah, and will be. And you're like you're reading it like what's going on? <laughs> yeah, maybe John <laughs> saw, <laughs> saw this. Language. Yeah, yeah, but you know, and that and, and and when so when you have someone saying, hey, there's 63 genders or even more, and yeah. it's all fluid. Well, obviously, you're you're saying gender matters, or else you wouldn't have said right. that it, there's 63 potentially more, and that it's fluid. Right. But then, when you diminish gender and say, "Well, there's really no gender," um, we have to get away from that male-female thing. Right. Then, then it becomes super confusing. And you're right. There, you know, a good another uh, kind of idea too on the po- political ideas. Just why is sex such a big? Uh, uh, moving point for leadership. Hmm. Um, you know, uh, uh, why why are they in a sense going? Yeah, this is it. Is it is it 
is it inherited meaning is it something that you know because the generations that have been taught this in the colleges and that's really the issue is the university campus mm -hmm. i mean that's what has to be addressed by the way in right. the culture right until you address the university nothing's going to happen right but um is it just that those are the christine cinemas of the world now is that just now you have those people in the the hegemony they're right. now in the power and that's structure. and that's kind of the crazy thing where the way that our country used to work is that the politics were created by the people that's what it means to be in a democracy the people are creating the politics what we're seeing right now which is really interesting is the people who talk this way so if, if you're listening to me and Bo right now and you're like I've never heard anyone talk this way in real life the reason why is because there's probably a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a percent of people who think this way and communicate this way and talk this way. All the time. The yeah. problem is, is that they represent everyone who is in, as you said, universities. They are all your university professors. They are a lot of the people in Hollywood. There's a lot of people in media and there are a lot of people in politics. So even though they're an incredibly small minority, they have the loudest megaphone. <laughs> and so they're they're trying to take their really, really unpopular, because most people, you go to the South Side in Tucson and you call someone there, you call an Hispanic there a Latinx and see what they say to you, right? See if they're like, thank you, because you know, I always thought my language was too gendered. You know, thank you for liberating me. Yeah, I'm not sure. From that. I'm not sure. Hitting East LA. <laughs> yeah, you go down there and you're like, yo, you know, like I, I just know that you guys want to get away from the hegemony of using gendered language. Let me liberate you. You know, you might get shot. You know, like you, if you say something like that. Yeah. So the people that they're putting it on, hoisting it on, don't even want it. But they're still forcing it down. And that's why I started this by quoting from the State Department. This is not some weird niche group out there. You know, this is this is the State Department's government doing this, announcing yeah. these things. And and it does it does feel like that Chesterton <clears throat> quote where, you know, you if you try to make a triangle a triangle without it being having three sides, mm. you know, how does that function? Well you have to redefine a triangle. Right. And now you have to make a triangle a square and and now call it a triangle. Right. But now you've taken uh, a triangle and now you've demolished the triangle. Right. Now it's nothing. Now it's nothing. Right. And either you redefine it or you just ignore it. Right. But it still is what it is because it's objectively three-sided. Right. Regardless of what we think about it, <laughs> right. it remains true. It remains true that it has three <laughs> sides. And th this is this is kind of the interesting thing. One of the uh, big things I wanted to bring this back to for us as Christians, right? We think about these things. How should it affect us? So Chesterton here and C.S. Lewis in The Abolition of Man, they make the point that when I'm communicating with someone about the gospel, usually what I'm trying to overcome is a cultural barrier, right? There's some there's a way that I see reality that's different than theirs. I see reality in light of God and the gospel. They don't. Right. They might see it from a different religion. Right. They might be Buddhist. They might be Hindu. They might be Muslim, but they might see it from a different religious worldview or they might see it from a secular worldview where they don't buy into the idea of God and the gospel at all. But regardless, there's some sort of a cultural issue I have to overcome. There is a completely different missionary tactic when you have to overcome not just a cultural obstacle, but a language barrier until you can communicate with somebody 
you cannot actually start interacting with the cultural barrier. So if I were to fly to the Fiji Islands and start talking to some of the natives there, until I learned their language and was able to communicate on their level, there's no way I would be able to share the gospel with them. And the same way we as Christians, you got to realize this, the culture right now is shifting in such a fast and quick way that the language is being deteriorated, meaning the words that you're saying to this person might be passing by them. When you have major people, like viral videos going out saying that God is non-binary, that Jesus is non-binary, right? And that the way that we could live out our truths is what's most important to the gospel and being true to ourself is the most fundamental principle of self-salvation, right? When you're dealing with a culture that talks like this, you have to start realizing it's not like me going and talking to a Muslim. This is like me going and talking to someone who's speaking a totally different language. Yeah. And unless I learn their language, there ain't no way I'm going to be able to communicate with them. Yeah, and it reminds me of just missionaries. You know, it takes time. Right. You know, and that's where we're at is, you know, it's going to take time with people that we talk to to really define terms and see if we can even get to step two. Right. If we can't get through the step one. Right. You know, because if someone says, well, you know, I do believe God's non-binary and say, well, what do you mean by that? Right. Well, I don't believe God's a male or female. I I believe God's non-binary. He's not subject to male female i would say i would agree with that yeah and i would say yeah god is spirit yeah he worships him as worship in spirit and truth right but i would say all the pronouns used are he <laughs> are spoken of god are he and right. when god does uh manifest himself in the person of jesus christ there's a he pronoun there and right. then in the holy spirit's use there's a male pronoun there um and so i would say obviously there's something to be said about that right and uh to totally ignore that would be wrong as well right um but if that person says well no i just don't i don't want to call jesus a he Hmm. um uh, i would probably have to say well why (laughs) you know and then we'd have to get into a discussion that's right you'd have to like and that that kind of questioning that you heard bo do that is the only way to do it because it it is it is different in this way from speaking to someone who has a completely different language. That different language is based upon reasoned and facts, right? It is objective. When you're talking to this person, you're talking at a language level where they are using terms that have almost no meaning. And if those terms do have meaning, that meaning can change tomorrow. And it, it almost reminds me of very cult-like activity, right? you know, where you have uh, your own kind of language per se, right. your own little themes, your right. own little handshakes, your own little verbiage yeah. that is used where people on the inside know what you're talking about, people on the outside don't know. Right. And you know, and it really it really blows me away that, you know, the amount of religion today that is exercised is so dominant. Right. And um it's funny we hear these quotes all the time about, you know, atheists are growing, you know, in the country. Uh, no, right. You know, you, people might claim to be atheist, but they are anything but, mm. you know, they soup, super involved in things that they, they hold near and dear, just like any religious person holds God near and dear to their heart. So right. they hold these things so much so that 
um, they have created their own objective reality. Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, I was reading this book. It was a fantasy book. But basically, in the fantasy book, they come from a country that's essentially like the Middle East, like that area. And they move into an area that would be kind of like our Europe. And while they're there, one of the people who is venturing into this place, he's not familiar with it. He says, this is the most paganistic, secular society I've never seen. These people have no God. And his companion looks at him and he says, no, on the contrary, this is the most religious country on the planet for every man is their own God here. (laughs) And so like, that's what we have to understand is that just because you throw out God, what is God to us? God is that force beyond the universe that gives meaning and reason to everything within it. When you throw him out, what becomes the center of that universe? What holds it together? It says in the gospels that by the word of Jesus, everything consists and has its being. If you throw out that word, what is making things hold together? What is making things have sense? It's you, right? You are the God of your own universe. You're saying this word means this now, and it means this because I say it means this, and you got to deal with it. And so the more you can get people to define their terms, what do you mean by that? Like, what are you saying? What are you trying to communicate to me right now? Like, I'm trying to understand you. What are you trying to communicate? I want to be able to interact with you. Because another important thing about this is that, again, these ideas don't just come out of a vacuum. They're not just from nowhere. And you have to realize that if you're wondering why in our culture, not only is this stuff happening, but at the same time, right? These are all happening at the same time. Why? Because they have the same root. Why is the concept of self-love and self-affirmation so important to this generation? It's because, again, their word is all that matters. They see themselves as God. And so in the Christian idea, we're broken and flawed and we're in desperate need of salvation. And what we need is we need the word of God to come into our lives and say, forgiven. That's what we need to be saved. If I don't believe in God as being an objective reality, though, then who saves me? I do. I need to look at myself and say, forgiven. And, uh, you know, I'm not joking about this, by the way. Many serious counselors, if you sit down with them and you talk about your past, they'll say, you need to forgive yourself. You need to love yourself. You need to actuate that in your own life. That's what they're saying. You have the power to make yourself saved through your own word. Yeah, which is really right back to the garden of Eden. Right. You shall become gods. You shall become gods. So very interesting. Cool podcast. Yeah. Hope you guys enjoyed it and weren't confused. (laughs) Too confused by it. (laughs) Too confused by it. It was awesome. Yeah, for sure, man. Good stuff, man. Check out runninglight.org to begin our two video series, Take Flight and Love or Lust. You can also send us questions on Twitter at runninglight or on our runninglight.org podcast page. Like us on Facebook at Running Light Ministries, Psalm 36.8. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures.